1: a podcast of our own a podcast of real integrity so guys what I'm doing sort of right now is I'm sort of (laughs) trying to do two things at once so what I'm trying to do is I'm trying to give the words to the song Somewhere That's Green without singing them because I'll get in trouble. And I'm also trying to sort of make the song a satire in a sort of Weird owl way for this podcast, which is covering the film Little Shop of Horrors. I'm Matt Rogers, and um, that was not my best intro, but this is the best film of all time. Just kidding. I don't think it's the best film of all time, but it's a film I love. Again, Little Shop of Horrors. It was directed by Frank Oz, who you also know as Yoda. It was released in 1986, and it is, I think, to me, one of my favorite musicals ever. I was sort of out of the loop on the movie version. I saw it years and years and years ago, but I'm a huge fan of the musical. I've seen it several times. I saw it off-Broadway recently with my dear friend Conrad Ricomora in a great production that is still running. And I also saw it at Pasadena Playhouse a few years ago with Michaela J. Rodriguez as Audrey. And this is just every time I see this musical, I'm absolutely touched, I'm moved, I'm befuddled. I'm all the things that you want from art. But it was—it had been a long time since I had seen the movie, and so I'm turning on the movie, and I didn't understand that this was going to be as incredible as it was. I mean, for some reason, I think because it's the little shop of it all, it feels like it's gonna be budget. This, while looking like everything was a set, I mean, it was really giving bare bones musical in the best way. It also didn't need to be big spectacle. I'm going to get into, in a minute, when I bring my guest in, just some of the direction of this movie, the camera work. It's just incredible. Like This is coming from someone, Frank Oz here, who obviously really knew how to deliver a musical on film. And I honestly think musicals nowadays that try to become big movies should take notes because there's really something to this. I absolutely love this movie. If you're unfamiliar with Little Shop of Horrors, I'll just give you a little quick synopsis of the girl. So, in Little Shop of Horrors, we meet Seymour Krelborn, who works at a plant store, with his boss, Mr. Mushnick, and his colleague, Audrey, who he basically, you know, harbors a big old crush on. One day, they're just sort of sitting around, this plant shop is not giving, it's not doing numbers, it's just not bringing in the bacon, or the big bucks, as they say. Which, honestly, it puts a business in jeopardy, okay? And that's just period. My small business owners out there know, if you're not bringing in the bacon, then your plant store is going to close, period. So, there's a total eclipse one night, and out of the sky shoots a sort of, hmm, we're going to call it a laser, a sort of beam hits this plant shop nearby that Seymour is, you know, walking across and discovering. He picks up this very unique and interesting plant, The plant sort of brings an energy to it. It's like a little Venus flytrap at first glance. And it brings a sort of new intrigue and energy to Mr. Mosnick's plant shop. The plant shop becomes a huge success. Suddenly, everyone wants a picture with the plant. They want to come experience the plant. And because they're stopping by, they spend dollars on other things at Mr. Mosnick's plant store. So all of a sudden, they're a box office hit. They're freaking Avatar The Way of Water. And basically, what happens is Seymour understands that the reality of this new, strange, and interesting plant is a little dark. Because the plant feeds on blood. Specifically, human blood. So, you can understand this definitely goes into a direction of, to put it bluntly, Seymour needs to feed this plant humans. So this is going to put our Seymour in a little bit of a moral conundrum. And hijinks, hilarity, and musical goodness ensue. This is such a fun movie. It stars really one of the biggest comedy stars of his era, Rick Moranis, the iconic Ellen Green, and a cast of incredible, incredible, incredible people, including Steve Martin, Vincent Gardenia, Levi Stubbs as the voice of Audrey 2, Jim Belushi has a cameo, Christopher Guest has a cameo, the iconic Urchins, who are the backup singers, sort of our Greek chorus, was played by Tashina Arnold, Michelle Weeks, and Tisha Campbell, and there's also tiny little cameos from John Candy and Bill Murray. So truly the greats of the time, all getting together to really see this through. It's truly just one of the best movie musicals I've seen. It was adapted from an original off-Broadway musical, which premiered in 1982, and was written, the musical, by Howard Ashman and Alan Menken. You're going to know them because they are sort of Disney titans. The Little Mermaid... That was these girls, okay? Frank Oz, who began his career as a puppeteer, and he actually worked with Jim Henson, the characters of Miss Piggy, Fozzie Bear, Animal, Sam Eagle on The Muppet Show, Grover, Cookie Monster, Bert on Sesame Street, these are all Frank Oz characters, as well as, of course, probably his most famous character, Yoda from Star Wars. So that history as a puppeteer really offered something very unique and special to this film, which obviously has some of the most amazing puppetry I've ever seen, the plant is capable of movement that is so cool. Again, it's just one of those things about this movie that's even more mind-blowing that they were able to pull this off in 1985 when they shot this. Just amazing. And of course, the film was released in 1986. The budget for this movie was $25 million. It was filmed on the 007 stage at Pinewood Studios in England. So, shaken, not stirred as it were, the movie was very well-received and developed a cult following, as we know. It actually has a 90% on Rotten Tomatoes, which, again, surprised me, because you think a movie like this would come out and critics would initially not get it, but then again, it was based on a property that people knew for several years, and there were also huge, huge stars in this movie. Some fun facts. The film's original 23 minute finale, which was based on the musical, was rewritten and reshot after test audiences did not react positively. So, if you're a fan of the musical, you know that at the end of the musical version of Little Shop of Horrors, basically all our characters are dead. They're killed by Audrey II, the plant, who is revealed to be an alien from outer space. They take over the world. Okay, the plants just take over the world. It's not a happy ending, but it is a bizarre, iconic ending. Bizarre and iconic did not translate to well-received by test screenings. So, Hollywood being what it is, you know, the customer's always right. They did change the ending. For years, that original 23-minute finale was only available as a black and white work print footage but the original ending was fully restored in 2012 and now there is a director's cut where you can see the original ending to Little Shop of Horrors the same one as you'll see in the musical and I have to be honest it is my favorite. There have been several revivals of Little Shop of Horrors over the years, including a Broadway revival in 2003 where Carrie Butler played Audrey. And the current off-Broadway revival that I mentioned earlier, which is so, so good, had an original cast of Jonathan Groff, Tammy Blanchard, Christian Borle, who as the dentist is just one of the best stage performances I've ever seen. I mean, Christian Borle is truly a genius. And um, ever since it's been open, it's been cast with other incredible people, such as Lena Hall, Jeremy Jordan, Gideon Glick. And my dear friend, Conrad Ricamura, who I saw in it and was an incredible Seymour. The show has toured the U.S. in 2004 when Anthony Rapp played Seymour, and it's been on the West End twice and toured the U.K. It's a classic. I mean, you know some of these songs. Somewhere That's Green, obviously, Suddenly Seymour, a favorite of karaoke parties everywhere. Everyone, I'm so excited to talk about this movie today with one of the funniest individuals on planet Earth. I'm sorry. If you know her, you love her. If you don't know her, you're welcome. Michelle Collins, everybody. Okay, first of all, let me say something. Little Shop of Horrors, more like a little podcast of delights because I'm joined today. <laughs> Did you love that? I you, I quit. Someone Thanks kill for me. having me. <laughs> <laughs> Michelle Collins, (laughs) welcome. I try to write and have an engaging little intro, and that was the best I could do for us today on this morning. Well, the
0: answer is yes. I'm engaged, and I love (laughs) it. Whatever it it is, Um, how
1: you're in London.
0: I know. I have a ring light on. It's only on one side of my face. I'm giving thinner poster. I'm good, you know. <laughs>
1: you're you're actually in a you're in a city which is famously you know, in London, there's like a museum, there's like a walkthrough haunted museum type situation with actors, which like depicts every like legend of like a murderous lore in London. There's like a Sweeney Todd part, there's like a Jack the Ripper part.
0: It's the perfect city to have that museum because they don't have to buy any prosthetic makeup for the actors because they, <laughs> <still look it. laughs> they just still look it. They just feel
1: like, I, that's the teeth of a murderer. That right there, that's <laughs> the grill of an absolute serial killer.
0: <laughs> Are we really gonna start with Little Shot? Because of all the episodes to have me on, this is for me a gift. I feel like, do I have like a terminal illness and you're like, let's just do little shots a, a week to live. I know you make want a to talk about how
1: about about <laughs> such topics as is Rick Moranis actually hot? Because I thought it many times.
0: First of all, let me tell you something about Rick Moranis. Now I'm six foot one. I could put him in me like a Tampax Ultra. Let's be real. Like Kangaroo this style. Man, yeah. <laughs> His little head popping out and just feeding him twice a day. And that's me and Rick. That's our relationship.
1: Me and my girl, but we're marsupials together.
0: <laughs> he's obviously crush worthy. First of all, he's so earnest. He's so cute. He really is good. He's like every Brooklyn hipster, but like authentic and also happy to sing, which most of them aren't. And I just feel like it's great.
1: You know, the thing that Rick Moranis proves is it's not, and this is not shady. I, I just want to preface this by saying it's not shady. It's not about being able to sing. It's about how much you want to sing. And Rick Moranis, as Seymour Krelborn, he really wants to sing. It's so earnest. It's so cute.
0: He's so sweet. And I have yeah. to say one thing. I have a theory that Looney Tunes is Jewish. Like, when I watch <laughs> Looney Tunes, I feel very Jewish. I'm like, oh, this... Is- Little Shop is Jewish. Whether you, you like it or not, Little Shop <laughs> is a Jewish musical. Mr. Mushnick, come on, yeah, King of the oh, Jews. Yeah, Little Rick in it. And then wanting the goyish blonde like princess who he can never get. Mm-hmm. I don't know who the plant is in the Bible. I'm figuring out where Audrey Two factors in.
1: Yeah, well, it's gonna it'll unfold itself as as history continues. I mean the, <laughs> the rest is still unwritten. <laughs> I mean, we've still yet to see parallels between the Bible and Little Shop, though they are there.
0: <laughs> they are there. The comedy is very Jewish. The lyrics, it is, I would argue, top three favorite movie musical, if not top two. You know, I was going to say, so you've seen it on stage, I'm I'm assuming. I saw it with Jonathan Groff, I believe, yes.
1: Okay, so I saw that same production. I saw it with my friend Conrad Ricamora. And it was so good. I believe Tammy Blanchard was also Audrey yes. in the... Per- yes. she's so she's So she was with it for a long time, but it's one of my favorite musicals to watch on stage. I, and I always say that all the way through act one. And then after intermission in act two, it gets goofy. But I will say, famously, this film has a completely different ending than the musical because they yes. tested the screenings or they did test screenings as they're wont to do. And people did not get the stage ending of the movie, uh, the stage ending of this story when it was in the movie. They were like, we want it to be a happy ending. They both die. What do you mean the plants take over the world? Like, this is too much. But I will say, in watching the movie, even though I always leave Act 2 of Little Shop when I see it on stage being like, that was too crazy, I did miss the ending of the stage version. I missed the insanity.
0: Yes, you know this is how you know I'm a Cancerian with Libra Moon because mm. I accidentally bought the director's cut DVD just assuming it had more plant. Like I assumed it had more like <laughs> more leaves plant, in more it. music,
1: more hot Rick, <laughs> more hot, hot Rick. Rick, sweet Rick.
0: I didn't, in his little fucking sweaters, which I love so much. (laughs) I didn't know that the ending, and it didn't even give you the option for the sweet ending. You could only watch the original cut ending where the plants take over. Wow. And for me, I also, it's my least favorite song in the musical, Don't Feed the Plants. I'm not a fan. Uh, It's just not the best. And so for me, I prefer the changed ending. Like I would have been one of the people in the test audiences going, no, this isn't working for me. Sorry, I it's just, I, I watching him get electrocuted, watching him take one of the, um what would you call those? Tendrils, maybe is what I'm thinking. Let's say tendrils, because I like When the he word. grabs one of those arms and plugs it in, it's funny. Excuse me, the puppeteering in this movie Insane. is the second hottest thing after Rick, I'll say it.
1: Yeah, well, Rick, can I also just, just to return to Rick for a second, the skin, it was almost as like, it was almost <laughs> like you could go back in time and like say, hey, just so you know, this is retinol. It's going to be huge in 30 years. We're giving it to you. I'm from the future. Always believe me. And then like they disappear in Terminator smoke like like Linda Hamilton yes. or something, even though she's not famously not the Terminator. She's, of course, just um, a buff Sarah lady Connor. In it. Yes. She's just a buff lady in it. But what I'm saying is, he was somehow gifted skincare from the future because his skin looked baby smooth.
0: He's a, he's a baby. He came out of me. That's what we're talking about. I delivered him. That is yeah. where he is from. You know what I just realized? And I want to go back to puppetry. It's hard for me to talk about this film without absolutely my head exploding open because it means so much to me. But I just realized that um, Rick and Steve Martin, when I mentioned them before, obviously yes. also together in this film, didn't even never occur to me. Well they
1: were they were like big you forget how huge Rick Moranis was. I mean, he was like you couldn't tell me when I was a little kid that he wasn't Tom Cruise level. You know what I mean? Like he was giving nerd Tom Cruise level movie star of the century <laughs> cuz yes. he was in like Honey, I Shrunk the Kids and like all these things. So ghost he was Busters. always yes, ghost yeah. of course famously, but like ubiquitous in the same way that Steve Martin probably
0: was. So I'm sure they Bumped credits many times but That's very hot to me <laughs> Steve Martin and Rick Moreno's bumping credits Is something I could really sink my teeth into I like that
1: I mean just to move into the Steve Martin of it all Another thing that surprised me With how much it kind of Sorry but turned me on Yeah of course The scene with Steve Martin and Bill Murray Bill Murray sort of like really wanting it bad in the scene where Steve Martin is performing dental work on him. Steve Martin is, of course, famously the sadistic dentist. There was something about that scene that was, like, the commitment of those two straight men going at it like that. I was like, this is doing something for me. And when Bill Mart—Bill Murray, like, grabs his back when he's, Steve Martin's back when yeah. he's, like, got the drill in him. Yeah. I was like, this is horny.
0: It's so turned on. It is probably my introduction to sadomasochism, as a child. I would I would hope. Uh, I would <laughs> Outside of Sesame Street. Right, um, This famous Snuffleupagus episode with the ball oh, gag. Never forget. We
1: all know what ha- what happened between <laughs> Big Bird and Snuffleupagus and the, with the ball gag when all the kids learned a little lesson about consent. <laughs> Radical, um, enthusiastic BDSM consent.
0: It's how Mr. Hooper died. <laughs> Autoerotic experience. <laughs> Six- <laughs> <laughs> so it's how Mr. Hooper died Look it up Well, Bill Murray is obviously very He's, he's hysterical in it um, yeah. I'm trying to think There's so much I want to get into You brought up Skid Row before I kind yes. of want to dig into the songs
1: Give it Because Top, top, top three
0: Skid Row has to be number one I got to actually pull up the songs Because I need to I don't want to make a mistake That I'll regret for the rest of my life by No, because not- you
1: know that people the, the listeners of this podcast Are listening intently Waiting for us to slip up it's
0: already happened, by the way. They should re-listen because <laughs> it's happened. You know what's controversial? Well, Skid Row, I love anything gospel related. Oh, yeah, and I'm going to so give good. your listeners a little hint or a little tip, rather, that mm-hmm. I have sung that song at karaoke. How'd it go? When I tell you, Matt Rogers, <laughs> that the ceiling collapsed, like, at the end of Little Shop, there was no building left, people went ballistic for it. Ape it is shit. a you have to have a voice for it, not to brag, you gotta have the voice. but you will kill it.
1: You know what actually I see in our future? Tell me. A duet of suddenly see more. I see it.
0: But can we swap genders? Wait,
1: why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we doing that on and off Broadway? Why aren't we taking over?
0: Um mm. I can I tell you that the fact that we're not on we're not off Broadway in like 50 different productions when you and I are pretty much the only two talented people in this business it I kills me. I haven't seen
1: anyone talented since I've Started working. No. I haven't that's seen That's how one. I feel. Besides <laughs> you. Besides you. Other than <laughs> I you. I look in the mirror, I'm like, I thank feel. God you're here. And then I look in this little, you know, what, is, what is Riverside, and I'm like, thank God you're here. Okay, so Skid Row, of course, I mean, first of all, the urchins just tear it up. And who oh knew that they God. would go on to become the icons, Tisha Campbell Martin and Tashina Arnold?
0: Well, you know that Martin Lawrence, is my favorite Weeks. comedian. Yes, yes, and she's fabulous too. But Martin, the show, and Martin, the comic are like my favorite, my touchstones for comedy. Mm-hmm. So the Martin connection for me cannot be lost. And I've interviewed both uh, Tashina Arnold and Tisha Campbell. Yes. And they expected Martin questions, but they only got Little Shop questions. I was like, listen, walk me through. Because they must have been, what, 17? They had to be so young in that.
1: Yeah. 20? I mean, they were, they were they, kids. They really were just, like, spring chickens. Also, I should say, you know, no one can use this, but my favorite drag name that I've ever come up with is Fishina Arnold. Like, Serving Fish, <laughs> Fishina Arnold. And Wait a that's minute. For,
0: that's for someone out there. I had a joke years ago that a great Israeli drag queen name would have been Tahina Arnold. <laughs> 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 so what are we doing here?
1: I don't know. I know what we're doing. I, I know what they're not doing is using these <laughs> yeah. names. We're we're giving
0: them up on silver platters. Free gold on a silver (laughs) platter, okay? And you're not taking it.
1: That song, incredible, just amazing. And then every time I hear somewhere that's green, I do have to just kind of sit down and take it in. Ellen Green performing this role, of course, in any medium is so brilliant. But in this movie, when you put a camera in her face, she was truly giving movie star, movie musical, great performance for the ages. And that song, I think, is... Just one of the greatest.
0: I would say that that is the most beautiful song. And the thing is, the lyrics and the music of especially that song, it's so, like, American. You know, it's just everyone's dreaming for a better... Pasture.
1: What I love is that like it is, of course, like a hilarious song because her aspirations are, you know, so suburban and she just can't, she she doesn't even know to dream bigger for her life than these things yeah. she's describing. But what I love about it is Ellen Green doesn't sell it out for a second. She's just fully committed to the character. These are her true biggest dreams. And just <laughs> yes. the time that she takes with the end of the song when she's like really realizing how hard it will be like to ever attain these things it's just i literally was sitting here watching it and by the way i saw this movie right after i saw the movie tar with Kate blanchett which oh my i went God. to last night brilliant is, it? is absolutely it? brilliant wow. but i was watching it and i was like you know what i've seen two oscar-worthy performances Kate blanchett in tar and miss ellen green in little Shapahar is the film this was it was giving great 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 screen acting
0: she's a gift and a legend, and the mm. fact that she did not really go on to anything you know big after that kills me and actually kills makes me. me wonder what are we doing here why I mean that she's the only third talented person me you and Ellen. and Ellen green but listen my my thing with her too
1: is like her her voice I almost Never want to know what she's like in person because the create. I want to believe this is a complete creation. And what I Mm. love about what her vocal quality does during the whole movie is, you know, it's very much in her head voice and she's doing the accent and everything and she's really committed to the character even in the singing. And then when she opens up to belt, it's like Uh. a different human being decides to... It's giving, like, men in black sugar water. It's another human being coming in her body just so she can open up a belted note. It's crazy.
0: The talent is is astounding. And something (gasps) I've never unpacked until this wonderful podcast episode is also how domestic abuse is handled in Little Shop of Horrors. Well, you know, again, because it's sort of cartoonish, the entire musical, but it's a dark musical. I think one of the reasons why I love it, even as a child, is because I've always been a little bit effed up mm-hmm. and so seeing a movie where this plant eats people and like this woman is dying to escape this horrible situation none of that part of it was funny other than because even mr mushnik is like kind to her about it and he's a joke the whole time but yeah. even he's like you got to get rid of that boyfriend like everyone's on her side which is nice yeah. um i just was thinking about the makeup artist applying that black eye what that must have been like
1: it was very much giving a 1980s makeup job. Like it was like very, very clearly makeup there on the scene. Ricky's.
0: But it was Ricky showed up. It was Ricky. <laughs> but I'm also happy they didn't give her
1: like a brutal, realistic black guy. I'm like sleeping with yeah. We're staying
0: in the heightened world.
1: <laughs> but it is, it is really, it is. You know, it, it's so interesting. And of course, it became a cult classic because I think that many things that become cult classics become so because they are unafraid to tap into the dark. Impulses, And that is what's going to connect you with an audience who maybe doesn't see themselves in a very wholesome depiction of whatever Mm -hmm. is going on. For example, like with a lot of teen movies, like in the late 90s when Drop Dead Gorgeous, like it didn't hit in like a big commercial way, but it's a cult film to this day because kids that had a dark sense of humor, teens that had a dark sense of humor that did not see, you know, the thing that they were interested in or that just tickled their funny bone depicted in mainstream film they saw in Something like that, and I feel like this show is obviously very akin to something like Rocky Horror yeah. because it is irreverent. It's musical. It goes for it. And also, if you stepped away and just maybe read the story like as a written piece, you'd be like, "This is dark as fuck.
0: What are we doing here?" Without the music, it's insane. It's yeah. Insane. You know, what's funny is that I hate Rocky Horror. I wonder, do if you hate? I've, I, you know why? I think it actually, generationally, it like, was released before I understood anything, because it's from the 70s, obviously. I hate the music in it, and I I think it scared me growing up. Like, Tim Curry frightened me as a little girl. I'm just being honest. Like, he was intense. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So, I... Rocky Horror for me is a no-go and yet little shop. I'm down for an Audrey II costume, if you're down to be Mushnick when I'm in L.A. I mean, I just... A hundred
1: percent. Yeah. I'll get some... I'll hike some pants all the way up, and I'll, you know, brandish that tiny little gun. But not really. I don't want to scare people on the streets of L.A. There's so many little
0: guns in the movie. You brought up my favorite part of the movie, which I have. To, I was going to bring up before. I'm going to say it's 90 minutes, which is a perfect movie length. Perfect. All of my favorite films are 90 minutes, Waiting for Guffman. This mm-hmm. movie today would have been 270 minutes long. Amistad. Amistad.
1: Absolutely. It would have been, it would have been so Amistad Schindler's.
0: Yeah. It would have been way too long. But 90 minutes in and out, and the tentacle work that's really what I wanted to say.
1: Oh, when there's
0: a scene with the puppetry when that little vine, that's the word I was looking for, the vine, Mm -hmm. slithers over and then an old timey phone dials the phone, like takes, and it's so dainty, like takes the headset with one. Talon. And then the other little point goes in and dials the number, and he takes that little phone right to his ear. For me, there's nothing funnier on the planet than that scene. I'm sorry. That is peak comedy. The little gun also very, very funny.
1: (laughs) (laughs) The little gun was really... And the fact that that the plant then fires the little gun, it's just like this is existing in its own plane of reality. I always, I would say the chills ran really up my spine the most whenever I saw a tentacle get someone across the lower back. I was like, "Well, now you're a goner. Yes, you're done. Gone. You cannot get out of here. You should have left. <laughs> you should have gotten the fuck out of here before those tentacles could get." And I just was thinking, like, imagine acting with the puppet. Like, I'm, I'm afraid. I'm really afraid. Its mouth was really disgusting.
0: I would have been shooting hot laughter tears. I would. They would. It's like uh, George on Seinfeld. I would not <laughs> have been able to get through a take with the plant. I would have been on the floor, dead and done. I was sitting here watching it, and I was like. It's so crazy because
1: they don't use practical effects like that anymore, really at all. And I was thinking, is it a practical effect? It almost felt like it could be CGI to me. And I'm, I'm, I'm very interested in the special effects of this movie. But I guess it was entirely practical, which is really mind blowing.
0: Lest we forget that the director of Little Shop of Horrors is in fact is Yoda Miss Piggy. Yes. Yeah. Which Ms. is just crazy.
1: Yoda. We're talking about Frank Oz, celebrated not just uh, you know voice actor, but also full-on director, and I do think, like, you kind of get the sense when you're watching the, the direction of this movie, yes, this is a person who's used to living in the cartoonish puppet world, because it's almost like someone who understands how to ground that experience in this yeah. whole movie, which is essentially a wild cartoon. There were some shots, like, at the end of Somewhere That's Green when Audrey finishes the number and then goes back to, like, you know, doing whatever she's doing in her apartment, and in a oneer, in one shot, they just go up the building to Gosh. the urchin's singing in harmony, I'm like,
0: this was a directorial feat. You have to have someone with that kind of a sick genius yeah. to be able to do that. And I wonder, Matt Rogers, if they made a Little Shop movie today, which mm-hmm. I hope they don't, because I feel like they remake everything and they ruin everything, all right? Yeah, there
1: was rumors they were going to.
0: Oh, we have the perfect movie. That's yeah, it. I- Done. I would agree.
1: Michelle, I have a um sort mm-hmm. of a iconic segment on this podcast called, Ooh. but how is it a queer narrative? So basically every single episode of this show, I am diving into a different film, right? And I feel it's my duty um, to sort of explain to the audience how any given story I talk about delivers a queer narrative. And I do it over a techno beat. So uh, Matt Stilla, will you please hit my track? Belted three-part harmony. Mmm. A big, enormous, 12-inch screen. Insatiable Begging. Stop relying on that botany. Do I think Rick Moranis is hot? I know we already talked about it, but it begs introspection. Ellen Green's chest voice, as well as her chest. This film is a musical. Okay, and that is how this film, Little Shop of Horrors, performs a queer narrative. I feel like you missed a big one. Could tell me, and this was—I was, was going to put it to you, the authority on the subject.
0: I've always thought the plant was gay. You think the plant, the plant is, gay? is gay? Yes.
1: Do you think that really that's what's going on? Yes. Like if the therapist went in there and sat down, like, "Hey, what's up, bud?"
0: The plant is gay. Yes. Watch it back when okay, he's so that's like, he's so thesis. sassy with him. Explain. Yeah. Well, listen. <laughs> He's constantly mmming everybody. He's always like, mmm. He's just like, <laughs> he's, he's like, down. I feel like, yeah. <laughs> I feel like if I worked with that plant in an office, he would be the gay HR manager who, like, everyone is like, Gary is so funny. Like, you got to go talk to Gary. He's hilarious. Yeah. And it's just this plant who talks shit about everyone. He's yeah. so, like, manipulative. No offense yeah. to the community. Yeah, but he well, just. No, of course, has... the
1: number one thing about the gay community is we are, of course, inherently manipulative. <laughs> it's how we get by. No,
0: But I'm saying that he's so, like, he's so, um, <laughs> That's really not the word I was looking for. Loves the drama is what I wanted to say. He's messy. He does. Messy boots. He's
1: He's like Giselle Bryant.
0: Oh my God, I love Giselle. He really, (laughs) I've always gotten major G energy from the plant. Even the way he like dials the phone, I'm like, oh my God, this plant.
1: Yeah. And also the way he like vocalizes his little
0: hmm. What now?
1: Like, it's it's really giving, like, sit down, let me tell you the tea. Honestly, yes. And now I'm it's thinking like to myself... It's and
0: Lion King, kind of. Like, that vibe. Like, oh, like... Yeah,
1: the villain is gay, very much. I mean, yes. absolutely. We're, it, you know, this also, of course, of course, is written by the music anyway, Mencken and Ashman, who, of course, years later, would create the villain of Ursula, who is, of course, the biggest lesbian in any bar after hours. She's the bartender... <laughs> yeah James she is Adomian, the bartender said that from years ago, and I have never been able to stop thinking about it that Ursula is like the lesbian behind the bar, like we're closed, but I'll give you a drink <laughs> like that's really <laughs> Ursula at she her is core.
0: butch octopus, yes, <laughs> but- she <laughs> but- is octobutch, she's an octobutch. That is really uh-huh. true, though. Oh, my God. No, but this, I'm telling you, I never even considered the Alan Menkenness of it all, the Howard Ashman-ness of it all. But yeah. they wrote that knowing that this plant was, like, a huge gossip and, oh, like, yeah. very, very funny. And ev- all the other plants, like, love, they're like, well, he eats people, but he's so funny. Like, we have to have him over. He's so good.
1: And now I do kind of want the revival to hear, like, Billy Porter... Oh, my God, he'd kill it. ...play this part. It would be incredible. Uh, also, one one tidbit I love about, like, when I went to go see this on stage, I went to go see this at, like, Pasadena Playhouse, and Michaela J. Rodriguez was Audrey. Amber Riley was doing the Ooh. voice of Audrey, too. <gasps> and so wow. I thought to myself, oh, that's so fun that she probably recorded her stuff because, of course, Audrey, too, is never on stage as a human. It's the, entirely the plant. That's what makes the stage version so fun to watch. I was like, so clearly, like, she must have done a track, and then, you know, they're, he's singing along to it. At the end of the show when they did bows, Amber Riley runs out in studio blacks and takes a bow. And I'm like, that's what we're doing with Amber Riley? She's just in the back of Little Shop in Pasadena and she's just sort of singing her three numbers? No.
0: Hold on a minute, though. I'm going to actually push back on that because if I were Amber Riley, dream job... We're all black, stand in the back, sing some of the best songs ever. You don't have to like yeah. be on stage. You don't have to sweat under the lights. <laughs> and you get the same paycheck. I'm like, this girl has it You know what? Out.
1: Maybe you're right. I, I, I didn't see what the equity check was bringing. I did not see.
0: How, well, what do you think of Patti LuPone uh, getting out Ooh, of the equity?
1: I, I just have to say one thing about the Patti Lapone thing. There is not a more iconic sign-off than figure it out. <laughs> <laughs> when she tweeted, no, she tweeted her whole thing, I'm leaving Broadway, etc. I gave back my equity card. Figure it out, period. That, uh, that's how I'm dealing with everyone that I have no time for from now on. You, figure it you out. You know who
0: else would use that? The point, pl- Audrey, too. <laughs> would be Audrey, too, would send out that tweet. I'm giving back my equity card, figure it out. I'm done with this business. That's such an Audrey tweet. Feed Just me, I'm it hungry.
1: Back. Figure it out. Figure it out. <laughs> and essentially, poor Seymour had to figure it out repeatedly. Um, listen, I know you have to run because you're the uh, busiest woman in London.
0: We didn't get to so much, too. There's just like the uh, the little baby plant, how cute that was. Little, oh, I love that.
1: And of course, we don't really see them in the stage version. This was my first experience with the little baby ones, and that was amazing. Was this
0: your first time watching it? It was, I, I had seen <gasps> this
1: movie years ago, and I'm always familiar with it. But you know what I'm, what I'm referencing is not the little baby plant. Of course, we all know that the, the little baby grows into the big Mama. But I'm talking about the spuds that are revealed uh, at the end. I, I love the spuds. And I just love backup singer culture.
0: <laughs> the spuds, 20 feet from stardom, the spuds. Those yeah. spuds, when they pop up, I'm on the floor. I don't know what people want me to say. Like, the whole last scene when his vines are so long, the phone, the gun, the spuds, I'm done. It's the best. Yeah. And that's
1: it. I'm on his side, ultimately, at the end. Obviously. And as I, as I reach the end of this podcast episode, I am on your side. And well, can I
0: promote the podcast? Promote Everyone it. should download Midnight Snack. Yes. Go subscribe to it. Matt's been on it, obviously. Uh, follow uh, me on Instagram, Mish Call. A lot of updates coming, so this is going to be fun.
1: A lot of updates coming, and this is truly the funniest woman in America.
0: Uh, Matt, you know I love you, and you make me laugh more than anybody.
1: I love you to death, and thank you for joining us here on the HBO Max of Movie
0: Club. Oh my gosh, Thank you.
1: All right, that's it for this episode. Come back in two weeks for a Drew Barrymore-themed episode on The Wedding Singer. No tongue, please. God, there's got to be a little tongue. Well, maybe a little tongue. Not porno tongue. Church tongue. If you haven't already subscribed, rated, or reviewed HBO Max Movie Club, please do so on the iHeartRadio app, HBO Max, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you might get your podcasts. Thanks for joining the HBO Max Movie Club. The movies we talked about today are currently available on HBO Max. Check the show notes for exact streaming dates. HBO Max Movie Club is a production of HBO Max and iHeartRadio, hosted by me, Matt Rogers. Our executive producer is Matt Stillo. Our producer is Sierra Kaiser. And today's episode was written and researched by Kate Voss. Thanks, everybody.